Hi, and welcome to another episode of the MedTech Matters podcast, where we learn about someone impacting the medical device industry. I'm Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of MPO and host of the podcast. Today, we're speaking with Bruce Lekoric, President and CEO of Galen Robotics. How are you doing today, Bruce? Good. I'm fine, Sean. Glad to be on. Great. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, so we'll get right right to it. Uh, you know, can you, you know, there are a number of med tech companies developing or marketing robotic surgical solutions. What makes the Galen Robotics uh, system unique? Well, the system was really designed uh, with surgeons in mind, where surgeons basically had a lot of input of what they wanted to assist them in the OR, especially for soft tissue surgery. So the robot comes out of Johns Hopkins uh, Robotics Lab here under the tutelage of, uh, we, we actually have a world-famous inventor, Dr. Russell Taylor, uh, whose DNA is in the Da Vinci and his Mako and Robodoc and Think. So he... Uh, spent a, quite a while putting together this particular robotic solution to help uh, eliminate tremor and give stability to surgeons in very, very tight uh, cases like neurosurgery, head and neck surgery, things like that. So if what is the, uh, you know, is neurosurgery uh, uh, something that's been happening for, in other words, does, does the Da Vinci do neuro, or is neuro an emerging area? Is that, because I hadn't heard much for neuro, but I don't know if that's uh, a common application, or, you know, is it is it a newer one? Yeah, it's an area that uh, the technology just hasn't gotten there yet. The Da Vinci, um, obviously, was invented 20 years ago, um, right. and, it, and it basically was the, and is the, the gold standard for laparoscopic surgery. And uh, a lot of surgeons have been trained on it and use it uh, worldwide. So for appendix, uh, you know, hysterectomies, prostate, things like that, the, the um, Da Vinci is, is ideal um, because you have these two end effects. You have these two things coming in and, and helping. You can't do that in neuro or laryngeal or ear surgery, you've got to go what is through one, one, one port or one entry. So, yeah, um, and then the other side of the coin is there really hasn't been a robot a technology out there that's, that's been stable enough to hold uh, instruments down to 50 micron level like we can. So this is the kind of the, the precision that took a while. I mean, 10 years ago, this, this technology really wasn't around. So, right. um, and so I think it's one of those things where we're kind of one of the first to capitalize on some of the new uh, technology that's coming out that we can get our robot to be so highly precise uh, holding any instrument. So what makes really us unique is we can hold any instrument the surgeon chooses to use. So we're not an instrument company. So the robot can hold a, an endoscope, uh, um, a needle driver, uh, a rake, whatever the surgeon chooses to pick up can be clipped into the robot and it can be maneuvered in such a way to give him stability and guidance or he can let it go and park it and then use his other hand uh, 
and we call that third-hand surgery. So it actually provides a third hand, similar to what a tech would do standing at the, at the table holding an instrument right. for the surgeon. The robot can do that. So that's really the, the differences here, but that's why Galen's coming about now is uh, – um, and the next new horizon, I think it's further on down we could talk about, it, is AI. I mean, you're going to see machine learning and AI come down in the next 10 years uh, and we'll, we'll, that will make a big difference in robotics. Yeah, I definitely think you're, you're, you're correct about that. I think that's going to be a, a huge uh, factor in, in its, you know, future development. Um, but another, another uh, item beyond robotic surgery that I saw mentioned uh, in, in a connection with your company, and that is uh, digital surgery as a service. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, I mean, we looked real hard as to how we're going to launch the robot. Now, we go into FDA next year, and once you get your clearance, you know, I mean, that's half the battle. The other battle is getting into the hospitals and getting surgeons to use it. And if you look at the first-generation robots, I call them, the Makos, the the uh, Robodocs, the uh, Mazors, they're all pretty much, the whole first generation of robots were all bone-cutting robots. And I call them pretty much, they were one-trick ponies. They did one thing. They cut the bone, they, you know, they shaved the bone for, for an implant, uh, whether it was a hip or knee or, or whatever. And um, these were expensive. Um, when you look at the price on the robots that are out there, you know, and, and sarcastically, I always call them these are $1 million one-trick ponies. The problem you got at these hospitals are, especially with COVID now, really, you know, costing these hospitals so much, you're going to see these VAC committees really tighten up, we feel, where capital expenditures aren't going to be as prevalent as in the past. So you're competing against x-ray machines, you're competing against hospital beds, you compete against all kinds of other capital that the, these hospitals are buying. So my background and my, my co-founder's background is software. We are, we're a hybrid. We came out of Silicon Valley. So we came out of data analytics and, and software as a service. So we know how the software as a service works. We know how as a service works. And so we looked at the cost of our robot, and what it came down to is, you know, what if we just place these robots in these uh, hospitals uh, for no capital expense, but charge a usage fee and a disposable, you know, you got just whatever the disposable fee is, if you use one disposable or 10, and right. get a guarantee from the hospitals for X number of cases. Um, we can make a business model out of that and get a lot of robots out in the market quickly without having to um, put pressure on these VAC committees for cash outlays for capital. And when you look at, you know, all the companies that are selling robots, they're all capital expense based. So they built their models on, you know, charging, you know, anywhere from 800,000 to 2.4 million for the Da Vinci I mean, that's a big cash outlays. And then, then, you, then they charge for the disposables and things like that. You know, we think our solution is, yes, we can 
get all the teaching hospitals on board, no problem. But where the market really lies is in the secondary market, the community hospitals um, and, the, and, the, and the regional hospitals where they really can't afford to lay out big cash for a robot. And so, um, and so you're depriving that, those outlying areas, really the latest and greatest technology. So we, we're, we took it on and said, look, we can, we can make a really nice business you know, selling this as a service, being the first robotic company, medical robotic, surgical robotic company to launch its company as a service. If you look at everybody else out there, they're charging a capital expenditure, and, and we think that's, that's antiquated. We think that, the, that the, everybody's going to have to go to this model sooner or later, uh, given the mm-hmm. rising cost of health care, and that's, that's how we're seeing this. And have, have you gotten any feedback from hospitals or, or care providers who have said, you know, hey, that's, that's actually an interesting uh, concept. We haven't, we haven't, you know, bought a surgical system or a robotic surgical system, and this sounds like it may be, the, you know, the path for us. Yeah, we've done a lot of research, and we've gone on a, a what-do-you-think tour and, and went and talked to hospital administrators and, we said, look, we're thinking, we're thinking, of course, I can't pre-sell this, and we weren't, but we were going under the guise of, hey, you know, we're thinking of bringing it to market this as a service. What do you think? You know, does that have interest, mm-hmm. or should we just do a regular capital uh, model? And uh, we have close to 42 hospitals that have said, uh, <laughs> we not only want one, we want two. So, wow. you know, as long, as long as they can provide the number of cases uh, per year, they get to keep the robot. So we ask mm-hmm. for a minimum number of cases, uh, ask for a usage fee, and then there will be add-ons uh, that we'll bring out later, you know, um, augmented reality or navigation or real-time data analytics. So if you look at the usage fee, and my partner says it's the best. Use it to use it to be like like uh, basic cable. We had a basic cable charge, and we all got basic cable, and it was like forty bucks. But then we wanted HBO, and that added another fifty bucks. And then we wanted Showtime, and that was another fifteen bucks. And we wanted you know NFL package. So by the time you're done, you know you're at a hundred and some odd bucks for for cable. Right. And similarly. You look at the usage fee as basic cable. Now you want to, for that particular case, you now want to have augmented reality navigation uh, in the future. And so we would charge for that. You want to have uh, real-time data analytics also. So the surgeon can, can ask and uh, uh, on demand bring up what he wants or she wants for that case and we would just upcharge the usage fee for that case. So it's not a one charge fits all, and the hospitals have to figure out how to amortize it across the board. They can now do personalized pricing or, or patient pricing per case based on what the surgeon chooses to use that day in that case. And so that's really been really well accepted as a model to go out with. Now, of course, there's going to be fine-tuning and, and – uh, we're going to take the uh, 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 we're going to take the uh, um, approach that Ethicon does at J and J, where we'll park a a, re, a a clinical rep in the in the hospitals, and they will be in charge of making sure that the robot gets properly used and gets usage. 
And the problem that you've got with a lot of robots that are out there today, Sean, is outside of the Da Vinci, the usage is terrible. These robots are sitting in the hallway. They're used once, twice, three, four, five times a week, and that's it. You know, right. unlike, the, unlike the Da Vinci that has a very high usage rate, these other robots are, are they bought them in, a couple surgeons wanted them, but when you look at the basic reason why these things aren't used, they require a change to the surgeon's workflow where they had to be retrained, and surgeons hate that. You know, they don't want to learn, you know, uh, new stuff. Or they want to learn new stuff. They just don't want to be taken out of there. If they were trained to do one thing one way in med school, and that's how they've been doing, now the robot's going to make them do it another way, you get resistance on that. Um, okay. They're non-configurable. You can't configure it to do anything else, these other robots, uh, indication-specific. But the big killer, the big problem with these robots that are out there is it adds time to the case. And so the minute you add time, 20 minutes to the case, 40 minutes to the case, you lost half of the surgeons. You know, they just say, well, shit, by the time I set the thing up and get it going and turn the thing on, I could be halfway done with my case. So why bother? So you see a lot of that uh, frustration out there. Well, they do see the benefits of, of robotics. They just will not add that time to the case. And so with us, it's, it's less than a five minute. I mean, it's not even five minutes. I mean, you just, you just, you just turn it, you, you pull the thing to the table, you turn it on, you, 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 you know, enter your password and your preferences come up with how you want the robot to behave and you click it in and you go. So, but it's, it's the same tool that the, that the surgeon would have used anyway. So we, we're not changing anything that he's learned. And so that's, that's a big deal uh, that we found out, especially now in these hospitals who bought Makos and Robodocs and Globuses, and they're not all used that much. So what it's basically done is force the hospital to market. <laughs> they, they, they turn these things into marketing tools, right? So they now mm-hmm. market to the patients that, hey, now we have a robot for this or whatever. But the usage is relatively very low, and these administrators will admit that. Uh, in fact, they'll take you on a tour of the hallway and show you all the robots that are sitting in the hallway that aren't being used. And they're really annoyed by that, with the ones that we've seen. So we're trying to keep our usage high. We're trying to keep our value high uh, without a lot of front cost on these things. And that's, that's one way, I think, to help the, the, the system you know, get out there with great technology without costing an arm, well, I hate to say costing an arm or a leg, but that's kind of a pun, but still, but not, not costing a, a fortune to get these things out there. So that's, that's really the bottom line how, how we are. What's really interesting, Sean, you think that the older surgeons, uh, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, would have a problem. Right. But what we found with the older surgeons will come back to us and say, they'll say, I wonder if this robot can maybe add two, three, four more years to my career. So you're looking at career extension because everybody, everybody's hands eventually starts to shake. I mean, as you get older, you start to have a, have a little more tremor. And when you're dealing with these high-precision surgeries, um, being steady is a big deal. And so... You know, we've had surgeons tell us that maybe this can give me an extra five years to my career 
by having the robot hold my tools for me, you know, as an as as a possibility. You know, we don't right. know yet. Uh, again, we haven't we haven't done any studies on this. Of course, uh, the ro- the robot's not cleared yet. So all this is uh, all specu- all speculation and all expectation, really, on our side. What it, what is that? time frame generally now I know, of course I know FDA there's no guarantee there's no you know but best case what are you hoping to see as a time frame when you would ha- be available uh, able to market this and start putting uh, the devices or the systems into hospitals well COVID didn't help right of course COVID, COVID certainly didn't help um, we had a hard time with our supply chain getting parts to build out our final set for testing. Right. And so that put about a six-month damper on our, on our timeline because we were supposed to go into FDA um, next quarter, so Q1. So that's pushed right. us out to Q3, Q4 of next year. Um, so we're hoping that the, you know, uh, first half of next year or the following year, 222, we can probably have a cleared uh, robot by then. We know that the FDA may take anywhere from, uh, you know, a couple of, you know, uh, six weeks to, you know, six months. So we don't know. Right. Um, right. And so, we, we, you know, we're trying to, but we're, what we're definitely for sure by the summer uh, we expect, uh, the summer we expect that hopefully we'll have some cleared uh, device uh, in 22 at some point in time. So, yeah, uh, right now our, our goal is under our control of getting these last sets of test units built, uh, go through our verification, validation, testing, get all that set, of, get all that done properly, and then uh, we'd like to submit, um, you know, next year for sure, uh, and get this first, first uh, you know, Galen, 1.0 out there and then from there once you're out there then once you're cleared then you can then predicate yourself on, on follow-on um, features and things like that so uh, the FDA has been very kind to us very uh, informative where they have, they have instructed us to you know uh, put something through that's uh, that's um, simple uh, don't get too complicated uh, you know, don't put an army Swiss knife through when you can just put the just put the knife through. You know, <laughs> and then you can add all, add all the other features later. You know, the fork, the spoon, and everything else. So that's right, kind of right. how they they have uh, instructed us to put this through. Is just get your first one through and then predicate on top of that. So that so we're going to take their advice. Well, it's it's great to hear the uh, the cooperation and the the. Uh, the recommendations from the FDA are, are well received because I think that's definitely a, a changing aspect of the agency from maybe you know ten years ago. Um, so it's good to hear that the positive feedback. And you're not the first to say uh, you know offer that type of positive feedback uh, that I've heard uh, regarding the agency. Um, now if we could just maybe do something about CMS. <laughs> um, I mean, if we can but, get. Uh, I mean, they, they came back in a really great way, and they said, "Look, you know, um, you know, you got the permission to go do a de novo, so we get to start to write our own test uh, requirements on that, which is which is uh, which is interesting because we get to raise the bar for everybody else if they want to predicate ourselves, predicate us, 
So, um, so we've been we've been putting that together. So that's because uh, there's really no predicate out there for us, uh, given the uh, true design of the robot. And if you think about it as more of an assistant, like a power assistant, uh, assistant, uh, similar to power steering in your car, um, right? You know, you're, you're, the the robot will you know help assist whatever you're going to do anyway. Uh, and that's how that particular, um, that's how we kind of separated ourselves from everybody else. And uh, which is, you know, good and bad because I wish we could have had a predicate, but uh, the fact that we don't, uh, they have allowed us to do a de novo, which is probably even better. It's just more work on our part. Right, right. Then again, there are advantages to being, to being, uh, you know, first to market on a, on a unique idea. So at least, right, uh, right. The digital surgery as a service certainly sounds like that's a differentiator, as you as you indicated. Um, but unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this episode of MedTech Matters. Uh, I'd like to thank Bruce for joining us and telling us a little bit about his company and the, the robotic surgery system. Uh, until next time, this has been Sean Fenske for MPO saying thanks for listening. <laughs>